As a gym owner, this should be your goal when it comes to selling retail. Now, that 10% pertains to the percentage of your members' monthly dues that you should be striving to generate in retail sales on average every year. Think about it. If your average gym membership is $150 per month, then you're looking to generate an additional $15 per person per month on average in retail sales. Now, if we look at that annually, That's a goal of an additional $180 in retail sales per member per year. Stick with the math of me on this one, guys. If you have 200 members, that's an extra $36,000 a year of revenue for your gym. Listen, I know you're sitting there saying, yeah, well, an extra $36,000 a year sounds great, Stu, but how do I get members to spend an extra $180 per year in retail? Well, you can try to nickel and dime it with bars and beverages, Or you can stock your shelves with what I believe to be the best supplement brand for wholesale in your gym, and that's SFH. SFH stands for Stronger, Faster, Healthier, and I recommend them to every gym owner I work with. Their packaging is clean and modern to align with your brand's aesthetic. Their products have incredible tasting flavors and the proper science-backed research you want in a supplement company. And they have great wholesale pricing so that gym owners can bring home more profit. Listen, if Sally buys three to four SFH products per year alongside your seasonal apparel drops, you're going to crush that 10% goal and bring home more money while simultaneously giving your members an incredible option to perform and recover better. And for a limited time, SFH is offering all of my listeners 20% off all of their products at sfh.com. Just use the promo code GYMTALK20 and you'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that promo code is GYMTALK20. So what are you waiting for? Go use the code and try them out for yourself. After you realize that SFH is the real deal, reach back out to them and set up a wholesale account. Your members and your business will thank you. Now let's get on with the podcast. What is up, guys? It is Stu, and this is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast, and I have Shane Farmer, the founder of Dark Horse Rowing, and Shane, I want to, I'm going to do your intro no justice, but essentially, you were in college at San, in San Diego State? University of San Diego. University of San Diego, yep. there. big yep. difference, big difference there, kids. <laughs> um, USD, you, you're tall, you're built for crew. Like Rowan yeah. is definitely someone looks you like that guy could do it. You got kind of brought into there. You had a friend recommend it to you. You became found out I'm actually really fucking good at this. You found community camaraderie simultaneously. You found CrossFit because you're in Cali, and that's you know that was the inception. Uh, what year did you find CrossFit? 2006. Thanks yeah. to Stefan Roche. Okay, yeah, same year. Yeah. I'm in, and I'm I'm not in fucking Cali. I'm in Ohio at the time, um, <laughs> yeah. bumfuck Ohio. But you find it in 06, you obviously see the carryover. You got to compete in those early days of the CrossFit Games at that very, very high level level of athleticism. And then that kind of carried you into, what was your major, if you don't mind me asking? I was business major. Business major, okay. Yep. And But you went coaching, not business first, correct? Well, I did a nine-month stint selling life insurance. So I guess you could say that nice. was a business stint, but nice. that was short-lived before Short. going into coaching yeah F- fair enough and yeah. you, you settled down where was your home gym like what was the gym that you operated out of i stumbled into invictus, invictus. like okay, six, six months after it had opened and is this cj's original spot that was like you know whatever less than two thousand square feet and people fucking just overflowing into the parking lot yeah yes well he had technically he had come from crossfit san diego so i guess that was his original spot Got it. but his first 
standalone Invictus as a location. Yeah, that was where I walked into. Got it. Very good. And then from there, I mean, I mean, you look at what's happened to Dark Horse now. I mean, from education, you guys have, I was looking up your social blade stats um, on here. You guys oh, no. are 1,757th in the country from a channel perspective. Like okay. that's your, that's your updated social blade score. And, and that's, that's really good to be in the top 2000 YouTube channels in the country. Are we really? Yeah. In the country. So if you Dang. go, if you go to social blade, do you ever go on social blade and geek out on this shit? Uh, I used to, it's been forever since I've been on the platform. Yeah, I'm not. So I'm trying to see what the last time they updated this. Well, this is updated as of uh, the 25th. So this is updated as of today. You dropped a video on the two uh, the last video I have here. They have stats on is on the 12th. Okay. It got 23,000 views. Uh, it's like it keeps all the stats, but it has you guys list country rank um, ba and it's based <laughs> on a, their social blade score of you're the top 2000, which is really cool. But probably okay. in, if we niche it down the fucking rowing, you've got to be in what the top two, top one rowing channels on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. The, the largest Easily. as far as actual size goes. Yeah. Easily. Let's. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of people, my audience, a lot of micro gym owners, gym owners, everyone is, I think a lot of people maybe have heard of you and understand that this is the guy that educates people on rowing. He is a concept to erg specialist uh, technique and all that. That's not necessarily my interest. Um, my interest is more thinking of looking at you from a business perspective. I look at something like what you have, your, you're an SME in this topic, and I look at, uh, without calling out other in the brands, but there are other brick-and-mortar fitness brands that are rowing-specific. They're essentially spin studios, but with Concept2 ergs, in yep. which they did not come from an SME like yourself. They came from someone with an idea and some maybe some access to capital and saw the Concept2 product was a, a popular thing amongst CrossFitters and figured, I can do this. Spins over. Soul Cycle is less popular. I'm going to do this rowing. I got to imagine someone's ran at you with that business idea. Yeah. In fact, I, I actually started one. Uh, talk to me, but talk to me about it. Yeah. So this is before Dark Horse existed. When I was still a coach at Invictus, I got approached by two guys out of Texas. One was the, the uh, we'll call it the money guy the, and yeah. brought all the investors to the table. The other guy was the ops guy and they wanted to start this rowing studio before any of the others existed. So this was, out of 2013 i think okay. um and yeah they pitched me they came and met me i was coaching a seminar in houston or dallas and they drove to dallas from houston had a meeting and nine months later we were pretty close to having a studio open so i did it back in the day it was a a wild failure uh why a couple of reasons there was a bit of like a, a toxic partnership um the guy who brought the investors, I was so young. Like I knew nothing about getting myself into a partnership and the, the two, the other partner, the ops partner and myself didn't put ourselves in a strong position. So even if, uh, we partnered on a decision, we couldn't overrun the single partner's decision-making. And it. he was basically just a, an egomaniac and it just, he, he did things the way that he wanted. And it kind of reached a point where. I want I want to say not even a year in I there was we literally couldn't make any decisions he would just make every decision that he he wanted to make a little playground for himself sure and so 
granted it's, it's it, around pretty quick. It's tough too, especially in the early days. I mean, that's 2013. I mean, CrossFit's still very relatively. I mean, it's it's doing well, but it's not. You know, it's it's not huge, huge. And and the auxiliary. I I always talk about CrossFit, um, the sun. And all these little planets and mobility wad and, you know, <laughs> all, you know, rowing and all this shit. Like these are all these little planets that, you know, and you know, love Kelly. Like well, he spun off his own universe, right? Like he yeah. just created his own thing. And, and some people were lucky enough to, to do that. And, but I mean, the auxiliary factor of rowing to CrossFit and that, I mean, let me ask you this, take, let's say you had better ownership. Yeah. Do you think that was the, do you think the model had legs? Like you, I mean, like you obviously believed in it enough or was it like, dude, I'm young. People think I'm the fucking shit. They're going to put all this money behind this thing. Of course I'm going to run with this. I, I had always had the entrepreneurship bug. And so there was a natural draw for me to go to that because being a coach in Invictus, while I wouldn't be the coach that I am today without that experience, I always had it in me to want to move on to my own thing in some way, shape or form, whatever that was. So there was that really strong draw. I could see the writing on the wall of where the the world of rowing was going. Um, and that got me excited. I I just had this fundamental belief that we were going to see some huge push behind rowing going forward that, you know, today we've seen turn into the connected rower space with mm -hmm. all of the, with Hydro, Ergata, yeah. Averon, <clears throat> Peloton, all launching rowers. So I knew that was coming and I wanted to in some way, shape or form be in front of that. Um, so if things had worked out, could we have pulled that off? There's a chance. There's a chance. We had a good investor group that wanted to put more money into it. So had we reached a point where we could create good ops and SOPs and really franchise the thing out, we could have had a, a, a shot at it. It would have been a little early. Um, but I think we could have had a shot at least within the greater Houston area at opening maybe five facilities. Did you guys talk, did you guys look at SoulCycle as your model of what your proof, your POC, your proof of concept when you guys were doing this? Because that's essentially, you would have created an in-place model. You could have had 25 to 50 ergs in there and a relatively small square footage. I don't know if you guys are also going to be practicing off the erg, like some dumbbell stuff, like things that like Row House does and things like that. Did you guys look at models that were already pot, like already successful for this in-place version? Yeah, and that was our... That was our market research. I would fly to Houston uh, about at least a week or two a month okay. and as we were building things and we would go do group rides at all the best local studios, yeah. um, you know, everything we could find in Houston at the time. So yeah, that was how we were sussing out, hey, what is it that we want to do? And we'd watch sessions, we'd go join sessions that were down regulating. We'd watch sessions or go join sessions that had weights and kind of feel it out and build it from there. I'm always interested. I uh, I was I was very captivated when when SoulCycle came on the market, and a lot of people around there's a lot of money around this idea of like, oh my god, Spin! Like Spin had been around forever, and Spin is actually Spinning is a trademark, right? That is owned by a right. company, um, SoulCycle. That's why it's Cycle, not Spin. Uh, th what they did it was nothing to do with the bike. It was the first like Zen. With the contrarian badass, the skull and the crossbones, making shit like, but and bougie and expensive and status symbol. Like, dude, it was cool. Like, so Soul Cycle cool. was all, like everybody wanted to be Soul Cycle, and that that brand killed it for a, a good run. They did. They did. And so I look at that, and I I've worked with a lot of uh, spin studio 
models. And my question is always, well, what is it you're going to do? Because SoulCycle wasn't about, it wasn't about the ride. It really right. wasn't. It was about the experience that they had created in the ride. So like um, I had someone very similar, like, well, I'm going to do the same thing with concept two bikes. And I was like, okay, so well, before you go ahead and slam your dick in a car door with this, uh, just tell me, <laughs> like, I think, I think anything works if you can create a client experience that goes above what they expect. So yeah. if they expect great fitness and good coaching and good programming, then I don't want to talk about those things. That's what they expect. You know, when you, when you get on the airplane, you expect for that fucker to land. Right. We don't yeah. talk about how good they are at landing. You expect that. So yeah. for you, what was your like, what was your guys like unique service proposition? What was your X factor going to be? Was it just because it was so new and no one had see, like seen concept two rowers at this level is going to be nuanced and, uh, and, uh, you know, the utility of it. Yeah. One of the biggest problems we had was that we never got a real strong brand concept behind what we were doing. And that stemmed from our inability to come together as a founding group, all three of us. And I couldn't, I still lived in San Diego. I was still coaching at Invictus at the time. So this like constant back and forth meant that I couldn't be there on the ground all the time. Yeah. It meant that I couldn't be training the coaches to have any unifying voice. And I would find out later, every time I'd fly into town, that single founder had had essentially undone all of the teaching I had done with the other instructors, despite having no coaching background. So it was just this, this battle. So what our, our, we expected to bank on that nobody had seen a standalone rowing experience mm -hmm. and leaning into the 86% of the body is worked by using a rowing machine made up stat, but you know, often uh, regurgitated. So that was really where we were leaning into. It wasn't much to be honest. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tough, man. Everyone had, you know, fitness, there's so many great fitness concepts, but unfortunately because nothing is truly proprietary, like there's really no special IP you can keep. Um, it's really hard to, to to own something and be like, oh, this is gonna be tough for someone to recreate. Except like experience, which experience means right. you have to have certain humans that act a certain way and follow a certain thing. And now humans are the hardest thing to fucking scale. It's just yeah. like you know, hard it is to find soul cycle instructors. Like in the beginning, like women and men who did the thing that they did. It's why they had to pay these people like paid celebrities and actors because like those were i mean you had to get people who weren't going to make it on broadway but they right. had this thespian they were extroverted they could dance and jive and sing and do the whole fucking thing because yeah. yeah. they got to get 50 people hype at 6 a.m in the morning and that's yeah. a, that's a unique fucking gift while riding that's right well now <laughs> so like take that concept and now try to to take that and and give that person that same instructor rowing oh. which is hot there's this immense requirement for kinesthetic awareness and being yes. able to relay a high skill movement the bike at least takes care of the movement for you if i can just yes. get the person's legs going around i know i can make them sweat rowing if i can't get them moving properly that person doesn't even understand that a workout is happening because they oh. don't feel any work and so they walk away they're like why didn't i fuck i got nothing done i barely sweat in that class and you're like yeah. oh, it's because you don't and so how do you take a high skill movement which requires a ton of coaching in person and then add on everything that's required to be a great instructor. It's hard. It is. And, you know, with spin instructors, granted, they talk for 85 to 90% of the class. They are actually on the mic going. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got their, they've got their own detailed playlist, J versus Bay, that whole fun shit. Like, but their hands are free. They can be very theatrical with their hands, even when they're not, you know, doing shit with it. But in rowing, all four limbs are gone. You literally just <laughs> yeah. have your lungs and rowing. I mean, I don't care if the damper's at one. I mean, even if you have yeah. a great VO2 max, 
growing and being that animated and preaching essentially because that's what those people come there for man that's church that's like black church on sunday like fucking praise like it is literally like that into it people love it clapping and hands together the whole thing yeah it's uh you know part of my struggle as we were building that and and realized what we were getting ourselves into after things had already kicked off was i'm i'm a coach by trade I'm not a thespian. I'm I I have a musical background, but my belief in coaching is so fundamental that, that I have a tough time setting coaching aside in favor of experience because while I want somebody to have a great experience, I as a coach can't stand sitting there and realizing that somebody isn't getting coached in the process. And I mean frankly that's where things have gone with dark horses. I have probably a lot to do with what happened with that experience because I walked away like, fuck this. Like I, I can't ignore the desire to coach. And and I still believe that there's a way to scale that side of things without having to be what I felt like was a a puppet. And that's not tearing down anybody who does that as a profession. It's just not what fits for me. Sure. hundred percent. And it's also, you know, um, for dark horse, I feel like people are attracted to the brand because they seek education. So yeah. we're talking a different, you know, the, the training age of someone coming into Dark Horse probably is generally low to medium, if not high, versus at a, at the local cycle bar, right? Like an exponential brand, you know, the 40 the, uh, pound overweight Sally who hasn't done dick for years can walk right in the cycle bar. And, but that's like, they're at, that's an avatar they're comfortable with, that they want sure. to come in the doors, that kind of thing. I was looking at your YouTube channel, which was really impressive, by the way. When would you say you guys dive deep into YouTube? Was it pandemic based? Like when we realized we really had to dedicate to it? Cause I mean, I, I, I really study content. And I mean, even I look at the evolution of your thumbnails, and how you guys position it. I mean, whether you, you know, again, whether you hired somebody or whatever, but like, talk to me about the evolution of your content game. Ooh, um, so my first video went out in like spring of 2015, I think. 2015 or 2016, I can't remember. Um, and it all started because, uh, you know, Marie Forleo, do you remember I, her? I, I do not. She was, like B-School was her thing. It was a start a business, learn how to do it online. It was a course okay. that she had. So back in 2015, I take this course. My wife buys it for me. I am like the only dude in a sea of like <laughs> 900 women taking this course. I'm definitely not her avatar, right? But I yeah. managed to, to find my way into her course. And it kind of changed the game for me because I realized that the way that I've been trying to teach is through blog articles and pictures. And it wasn't cutting it, but that's what we were all trying to do back then. And yet when I went to YouTube, really the only place where I could find video to try and explain rowing there, nothing existed. There wasn't a single video out there except for like one concept two video. And I just went, I guess I have to start making videos. If I want to figure out how to crack the nut of teaching this high skill movement without being in front of the person. Yeah. And so the journey started in, in whatever it was, 2015, 2016 spring. Um, and I, I made this commitment of saying, I'll, I'll put out a video a week for a year to start, and then we'll see where it goes. And so that was the start. And then I just never stopped. And then around 2018, probably, I started, I added a second video a week. So then we were putting out eight videos a month, which was exhausting. And that held up until uh, 20, 2021. 
um, when I just finally reached like a burnout point and I actually just came off of a year sabbatical of not publishing any videos. So, yeah. And, and let me ask you, uh, comfortable on camera, you mentioned you have some uh, musical background. What is that in? Uh, well, I grew up surrounded by music from boys choir when I was six and singing my whole life to you know, church choir. I'm from Minnesota. So, you know, church choir growing up, I played trumpet my entire life. Uh, I was the vice president of band my senior year. I was in jazz band, pep band, orchestra, choir. I mean, every way that I could get involved in music in high school, I was. Uh, I've since graduated to the guitar. So now I play guitar and sing. And then that was on top of being a 12 season athlete. So I like towed the line between the not cool music kids and the jocks. And I was never really fully accepted by either and lived like right at the the middle lane between them. I love it. And and so do you, do you feel that helped you? A lot of brands, I don't care, brick and mortar online, you know, there's, I always say there's two very scary buttons that you have to get over. You've got to get over the record button. Okay. And then once it's recorded, now you got to get over the hitting the upload button on YouTube or whatever <laughs> it is. Two very different buttons, two different kinds of fears. One is I'm embarrassed to do this. I don't, I'm feeling imposter syndrome. I'm not good on camera. Where do I look? Blah, blah, blah. And the other one is what will people think of me? What mm-hmm. will, what will the comments be? Will my friends think I'm trying to be some influence, whatever it may be. Were either of those buttons hard for you? Yeah. Uh, I got over the hitting record one pretty easily because I had a buddy at the time who had a marketing agency. He had a dude who had a camera and they would record and, uh, and I basically enlisted their help. So every two months I'd hire them for a day and we'd shoot eight videos yeah. in one, in one session. And that's a heavy I got over day, real... dude. That's a heavy day. <laughs> well, to be fair, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't storytelling. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, creating YouTube videos in the way that we look at YouTube videos. Now I was doing a, a five to 10 minute coaching session that I could do all day long. You put me in front of a hundred people, no sure. problem. I'll just coach you on what I know. So that, that made it easy because I knew, all right, well, I've got one day and I just got to spit knowledge through eight different videos. And then they would edit them for me and drip them back to me one a week. And so that was how I set up my system. So I only really had to film six times in that first year. And that stayed, we kept that up for about two or three years with that model. Um, so that like helped today? with the recording as what far as what our process looks like. Yeah, what is that problem? I'm just curious, we'll come back to that. I wanna know what the process looks like today. Uh, so it's evolving at the this exact moment. Uh, I'm, I'm basically reworking my entire process of what my, storytelling future is going to be you mentioned thumbs earlier um i was like right before we jumped on this call i was working in photoshop practicing thumbnail creation and um how to adjust our thumbs because i don't think they're anywhere close to what they could be or should be whose thumbs Uh, do you like the best on youtube like when you look at youtubers out there different genres or whatever you're like they fucking kill you know who's killing it right now and i just can't get enough of his channels ryan hummiston Oh, oh, right. Absolutely. Dude, his, his shit is so, he is hilarious such, to listen he's, to. He's a goofy fuck. He's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I listened to, he did a podcast with Nick Bear and they talked oh. about, they, so it just recently of just course. came out maybe like two months ago and he okay. talked about the content creation and his, how he thinks about creating thumbnails. Yeah. And he said something that I've heard a ton of creators and people have said, and I've heard him probably, you fucking make the, you think of the thumbnail and the title before you ever shoot that goddamn video. Yeah. You st- you would go reverse backwards. And now that's how I yeah. generally think of things. 
They say that if you can get to that point where you you actually enact that, you create the thumb and get the title before you shoot the video, you you will be off to the races. And yeah. in Ryan's case, you just watch his, you look at his views, his view to subscriber ratio, it is off the charts. I can't, I mean, my... <laughs> I have this this secret desire to like watch one of his videos and write down every one liner that he says. The dude's spitting out like one every fifteen seconds that just make you laugh out loud. 100%. I have no idea how he has that much creativity in him. It is astounding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't help but watch one of his videos and just leave it laughing, but also yep. have retained a great depth of knowledge around the topic that he's covering. He's one of my favorite YouTubers right now, especially in the fitness market, because we can all be really bland on the fitness side of things. Yeah, He's a fucking unique character that has just carved out this amazingly interesting channel. And so I got to confuse. Uh, Will Tennyson is who I was thinking of that was on the podcast with Nick Bear. But so oh. for anyone, uh, Will, had a, Will Tennyson, goofy yeah. looking, uh, fuck yeah. He goes into those little fitness challenges, very clickbaity, but uh, I think you'd really just like his podcast, Nick Bear, because he talks about the creation of thumbnails. And he's yeah. he's a very good, he's not one, the one on the subscriber to views, but he's very close as well. Ryan, yeah. though, I absolutely love it. And the thing with Ryan, he does something that Casey Neistat did, who is someone I, I adored early on in vlogging and YouTube. Oh, yeah. The he has the continuous thought, but the change of scene. He's talking yeah. mid sentence, boom, the scene changes, but he picks it up right where he left off. And any creator knows that means that thoughts written down, which yeah. means he's essentially he's having to write and then kind of go off script because changing the lights and the camera and all that in his gym warehouse thing, that's not easy to do. And if you look at it, I mean, like I've I, same thing done tick marks. I've got the entire timeline. How often does that scene change? Next right. time, any any content creator, anytime you watch a movie, like a regular movie or a YouTube, a good YouTuber, just go ahead and take a note at zero zero one and to the entire time. How often did the scene change? And look, go back and look at the interval minutes. It's probably every three to four seconds on yeah. average. Yeah, whether it's a crop in, crop out, whether it's mm -hmm. an actual scene change, whether it's a you know an actual camera change. So you go to an overhead cam, you go to an actual camera position shift, and that's. That's the kind of shit that's exhausting as a creator to to get that right and to maintain any kind of actual creation schedule. Sure. That's the stuff that I'm working through right now where historically I've just turned the camera on and I'll try to get it in in one take and then I'll shoot some B-roll and we'll we'll chop it a little, but we take a lot of liberty with crop in, crop out graphics because I just historically have shot one take. Yeah. And if I and if I have to, maybe I'll at best I'll I'll bullet it and I'll film in sequences per bullet. But to shift the camera and to to I mean, he's probably running with multiple cameras to get the oh, lighting yes. right every time. Oh yeah. It's astounding. It is. Um, and his stuff is, is he's very witty. If he doesn't have a writer, then he's just extremely gifted. And that that's <laughs> yes. the hardest part. And so that's you know, I talked to Individuals like me and you it, and anyone who's making uh, their living, their career online, and they're becoming an SME in whatever field, you look at it and you say, well, okay, he's the rowing guy. No, no, no. He's actually he's actually a content guy. He just happens to know a lot about rowing because yeah. without your new vested interest in the field of video and YouTube and what you want to grow, if, and if, if YouTube obviously seems like probably one of your the platforms you guys are mainly focusing on right now yep. um, for long-form learning – which I agree with a thousand percent. Uh, you have to realize you're a media company. 
The yeah. shit you like you said, I can literally you could you could do it in your sleep. You can coach, 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 do it in your sleep. You'll learn maybe a little bit more about right. mechanics of rowing, or maybe someone at the crash bees will do some shit you've never seen before, and you're like, I gotta fucking study what has that guy been doing for his training? But yeah. Probably not as much, but this whole media side of the world is ever changing. Previously, let's take us back 40 years ago. You and me are having to figure out how did they write that book? Like what <laughs> kind of style of writing did he use? Because now we have to write a book because that's the right. only fucking form of SME that exists is book writing. Now or, it's a whole or whole seminars or seven yes, selling the DVDs. Yeah. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, and that's kind of it. Like these YouTube channels are just our seminars every day or week, whatever your upload schedule is. And our call to action is our $29 a month thing or this or whatever it may be that we're selling. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the journey, man. I mean, that's the, honestly, the, it, it's why at times I've struggled with the channel is because I struggle with the being a content creator slash being a coach and being the rowing guy. I don't, frankly, I don't want to be just the rowing guy. My interests fall far outside of that, especially in the health and fitness world. And I practice so much more than what I actually preach on the rowing side. In fact, I hardly ever touch the rower because as a rower, I love rowing. I hate erging, but sure. that's the thing I've, I've really banked a lot of this content on. And because I'm, I, I love coaching it. I do love helping people have that aha moment on the machine and, and helping them find that. So there is this internal struggle of how do I create content that isn't so specific to rowing and gets to talk about more media-based and, and content-based interest. Um, that's the balancing act that I have to work through. Um, I was, you know, I was looking, I looked at your teachable page uh, and your, you know, those entry-level free courses you guys have on teachable and things like that. There's two things like you, once you get into something as an SME, you start thinking about it. You're like, okay, I got two markets, essentially. I got the people who need this basic information, right? Like the teaching, the aha moments to all that. And then I'm going to have a rower or someone interested in fitness that's – the training age is high. They're uh, they're going to outgrow me. It's going to look what happens. Like I believe the biggest vulnerability to CrossFit gyms now with all the online programming that's available because of the acceleration with COVID is the CrossFitter who needed your recipe of fitness, like your actual wad, and then now they're – mature enough, skilled enough, they're autonomous enough five, six years later to be like double unders and, you know, 60 round uh, wall balls for three rounds. I'd actually, I'm really trying to get that fucking, I'm trying to get that VMO, dude. I'm going to do some fucking heels, raise cyclist yeah, squats instead. Yeah. I'm going to go to Yawn. the Y. Yeah. And I'm going to follow Marcus Philly instead. Yeah. So I'm now smart enough, educated enough. You educated me long enough that I now don't need your recipe or I can pick and choose when I want it. And now I can pursue other people's recipes. Right. When you think about dark horse, that's essentially what you're selling. You, we, we don't own rowing. We own the unique, we own the education and then we own our version, our recipe of it. Which one do you see is the biggest opportunity for dark horse? Is it the newbies getting in just because of the, the sheer numbers or is it some way captivating those that as they train and potentially almost age out, do I, how do I keep them in my ecosystem and not aging out? It's like you're, it's like you've been in our team calls lately. So <laughs> that is, that's essentially what that we are at that crux right now because, and this came from what happened during the pandemic, we going into the pandemic, obviously we saw an explosion, just like anybody who happened to be online going into it, we, we benefited from that. Um, and so what happened early pandemic, like that first six months of 2020, I kind of went to the team and I just said, I just figure out how to give away information for free right now. We'll figure out what to make of this when things, when dust starts to settle. And, but the, 
point to me right now is there are a lot of people out there that are hurting and we're just trying to figure out what to do with it. So we put out this big blast. We started sending out programming for free, whatnot, just to like help people as much as we could in that moment. Um, and then after that settled, we kind of went highly specific to that absolute beginner who is coming in the door, doesn't know a thing and wants that handholding journey to get to like just GPP fitness. And we became it that was that was our sole product was just it's called the crew is our one product and so we put all of our eggs into that basket well now obviously we've matured out of that and we are in that space where we need to expand we need to be able to move with somebody through that customer journey and offer what the next steps are we do have other products for example the academy which is the seminar that i used to teach we can still certify concept to we can't use certification. We can qualify concept two coaches and dark horse coaches. So we have that and we can, we can add that into the discussion, but we've done a really terrible job of making sure that all of our products actually complement each other from a customer facing perspective. Mm -hmm. So that is exactly what we're doing right now. I've been testing a beta program. That's been a high tier membership in which we're talking about lifestyle stuff. We talk about mobility, uh, mindset, resilience on top of fitness but more so all the other pillars of health and wellness. And so we're trying to figure out, all right, how do we take somebody from that $90 product, move them into the lifestyle product? How do we start developing product that's more tip of the spear focused for those athletes, like you said, who have moved out, who have phased on, that have been taught well enough that they can move beyond basic programming? Sure. And and this is so... Uh... I've, uh, I've flown out. I've, I've gotten to go jam with Kelly and uh, I did... I've, uh, hung out with Marcus last year and talked and Marcus specifically here, my, his, his business model and yours, again, SMEs, unique things, you know, he, you know, uh, my thing is always is CrossFit a brand or is it a genre, um, is rowing a genre of fitness, right? Which it's a thing like bodybuilding. Nobody owns bodybuilding. Nobody owns right. rowing. Well, that's because they're genres. CrossFit's getting so big. You point, you close your eyes and point to any boutique studio in the world and tell me they're not doing constantly varied. You functional, you can argue it either way at high yeah. intensity. Like yeah. if CrossFit's just becoming synonymous with hit, which it's an okay thing if you want to be a genre, it's not a good thing if you want to be a specific brand because now it's going to get right. confused. You know, if I say, hey, let's get pizza. You may be like, well, we do a deep dish Chicago style. We're doing that in New York. We're doing New York. Like, are we doing oven fired? Are we doing like, what are we doing here? Like, because there's different kinds of pizza. Um, right. When you look at, uh, you can't own rowing. You can just own your unique recipe on it. What? How does that get so specific? Like Marcus, like again, like functional bodybuilding. Like besides the fact that the dude has the two most goddamn marketable, searchable words in the internet for fitness, <laughs> functional and bodybuilding, right? right? <laughs> um, besides that. It's like he it's just his recipe, street parking. I flew out and interviewed them too. Same thing. It's nothing but CrossFit in a garage for people who can't go to CrossFit gyms anymore because they're too busy or they don't want to or whatever it may be. But it's the recipe. Like that's it. There's no new ingredients. There's right. only unique recipes. How do you think of Dark Horse's recipe? Like, do you guys have to come up with like certain things that are just maybe a little outside of the the ballpark in in the regular rowing community that like other rowers would look at like I don't know that doesn't make sense just like again Marcus him doing kettlebell windmills whatever bodybuilders look at that and they go that's fucking stupid right? right the functional guys go ahead and look at him doing twenty ones but holding an isometric dumbbell here for curls and they're like that's not functional that's fucking stupid but that's where his recipe finds the white space how does Dark Horse find the white space 
So a lot of what we've built has been based on not appealing to rowers. That's been a big one. Um, I, I actively try to avoid appealing to rowers because they're they're well served. There are more than enough keyboard warriors out there and coaches who want to coach rowers that they don't interest me, frankly. They're not that fun. <laughs> they they already know what they want to know. The people that interest me are the ones who are fitness curious, rowing curious, right? Those are the people that we try to get to. A lot of that comes back to what I think the the thing that I've tried to push, I'm not saying I've gotten this right, is that idiom of being a dark horse underlies everything that we do. That underdog mentality yep. that, hey, you want to change your life. You probably haven't had the resources, the support system, the structure around you to enact that. And you need somebody to be in your court who does believe in you will be that person for you. We will be that entity that gives you a feeling of belonging so that you can take action to change your life. And again, I'm not saying we've gotten that hundred percent, right. But that is the thing that we continually try to push through is that, that idiom. And it, I think that is at least what sets us apart a little bit. Um, I've always said, I don't own the knowledge of rowing. Just like you said, I'll teach everything that I know for free what I'll charge for is organization. And there are a lot of people out there who don't believe in that. A lot of coaches who want to paywall everything that they know. Um, I'm speaking specifically to our space. And there've been many times where I've seen comments on posts or videos of ours. It's like, well, how can anybody break into the space with how much Shane gives away for free? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I mean, listen, man, if you, like just teach people, serve people, and then figure out how it's going to come back to you in the long run. And that's what we've done is give as much as we can away for free. We'll figure out how to make a business out of it. But more importantly is just teaching people at the end of the day. And the, the you said two things there. I want everyone to make sure and, and circle, like you said the word curious. And then you said that guy's line, how can we, how can anyone compete in the space if Shane's always going to give away free? The only thing to answer that question to Mr. Commenter, whoever said that, the only thing you have to do is offer a different recipe on it. Again, the Beatles did not invent the the G chord and H chord. Yeah. They just put that shit together in a unique recipe. Glassman didn't invent pull-ups and running and deadlifts. He just put it together in a unique recipe. My big thing, I was a CrossFit affiliate for almost 10 years, and then I de-affiliated. I was so sick and tired of the speed of movement. I was a big Ian King fan. He's an Australian strength coach. Uh -huh. Really, he coined all the good data that we have on adding tempo and time under tension. It was okay. later kind of stolen by Charles Poliquin and popularized over here in the U.S., which, you know, the four-number model that everyone writes tempo in. That was a Pelican yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. um, but anyway, so my model, so I, you know, I, uh, I get rid of CrossFit, de-affiliates, uh, and I go to this, what I call my unique belief fitness was a tempo training. So if everyone was going fast all over the world, we did everything slow. Every lift resistance training had X amount of seconds of time under tension. We had different tiers of it and all this other stuff. And someone asked, well, where's the science behind this? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't need any. Like this is right. just a you. This is just a unique take. Like CrossFit <laughs> people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not running a mile and doing a hundred and then two hundred and three hundred body weight movements and running another mile. I don't care if my grandma fucking died over in Iraq to do that. Like, where's the science behind that workout? No, it just people were curious. Right. So all you got to do is you got to have a recipe in which someone's like, whoa, that's different looking. Which is number one, you have to appear different, and then yes. number two is like, I'm curious as to what that would be like. That yeah. I'm really, I'm really curious about that. If you just have those two things, 
the fucking world is yours as far as long as you can continue to cultivate that, get more right. people curious. And then that's how you get people bought in. And then fast forward a few years, there's my science. There's yeah. my data. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because at, as long as you can kind of keep your eyes closed on the comments for the first couple of years, it pays off in the long run. And those people that you convert are the ones who will go to bat for you to defend the principles. We, the, it's a small example of this, but one of the cues that I have taught forever is teaching people to row with their heels down, which is not what you do in rowing. You lift your heels. But what I found is that by keeping the heels down, we can eliminate 85% of first timers errors immediately. So if I can teach you from scratch to row with your heels down, then I can intentionally get you to lift your heels later on. When I started teaching that, the rowing community shit their pants over the fact that I was teaching people to row with their heels down. And the number of comments you would see on our videos about how wrong I was about that. It was like, well, how can you pod look at this? So-and-so as a rower, they all lift their heels. And now I have an army of people out there who anytime a comment like that pops up, they jump in with the explanation before I ever even have a chance to do it because they understand that it works and they understand the why. I get you're probably the person I stole that from. I opened my affiliate in 2011 and uh, I had coached it that way forever. And I knew it was not technically the way an elite rower would whatever. I'd be like, yeah, but it's just going to help reinforce because I have to say the same goddamn thing, same goddamn thing to that person in the gym when they're squatting. Get right. your heels down, right? I mean, so yeah. I'm just trying to keep the same cues traditional. Will it make them the best row ever? No, but I don't give a fuck. Not yeah. trying to, right? Yeah. Um, taught, you know, it's so funny. I was, uh, I, you know, when do you think you're going to hit a million subs? Man, I can tell so, you. Go ahead. I want to know if you're close. <laughs> uh, let's see. If I really make the critical changes that I, that I'd like to right now, that that I'm kind of loading up the the back end for. I would say within two years, I think we can get there. So Social Blade is predicted. You guys will be at 1 million subs by May 25th of 2027. So let's, I think you can prove them wrong. I think you can yeah. prove them wrong. Um, but I was looking I, at that. It's, it's, I mean, you guys are gaining over like almost 200 subs a day. Yeah, we're right now, I think we're at about 5,000 a month total. Yeah. Um, and that's, and this is, here's why I say, I think we can fast track before 27 is because our entire channel so if you understand YouTube, you understand that there are three main algorithms that are always driving traffic, right? You have search, suggested, and browse. Browse is the homepage. That's when you go to youtube.com and it's like, hey, here's this, here's this buffet of videos that we think you would like, right? Browse is the number one algorithm that you want to hit. I have never had a video make it to browse because historically, I've either taught how to, which is a highly highly oriented search topic, which is the third tier algorithm that you want to hit. So we've never had a hit that's pop. And then uh, the second is that we're always teaching workouts, which really fall under the how to or the search topic sure. as well. Suggested is when you're watching a video and on the right hand column, you have all those videos that's suggested. I'm sure you know this. I'm saying this for anybody who's listening yeah. on that right hand side. That's suggested. That's the number two algorithm that you would like to hit. So essentially all 223,000 of our current subscribers have come to us because of search. Our entire aim right now is to pivot to getting to browse and suggested. And I firmly believe that if we can do the work that we're trying to do right now, and we start hitting browse and suggested, even if it's just one video a year, which again, I've never had a single video go viral, quote unquote, right? Everything we have is just evergreen long-term search. 
I think we'll see those numbers accelerate um, because the foundation of our channel. So I told you, I took this year sabbatical just now. I didn't put out a single video for a year. Our traffic growth or our, our channel growth didn't slow at all because of all of that evergreen content. Yes. So we just continue to grow. So I know now exactly what our base growth rate is. So if we take that social blade saying, Hey, to 2027 at this current growth yeah, rate, yeah. I know that I, I didn't, ha I don't have to do a thing and we would get there in 27. But if I can add fuel to the fire by getting to browse and suggested, I think we'll speed it up. And you can see that as that, as I was looking through your thumbnail history, it's like, okay, like coming out with titles, like just how fast are Olympic rowers, right? Cause that <laughs> is, that's not the common searched thing, right? right. Like, right. um, it's, it is, it's, it's so funny, man. When you really like someone who has a business goal, like they, they really want YouTube to be their main platform. And there's certain brands that like, well, why don't you just do it on YouTube? Like, or I mean, uh, Instagram or whatever, like the, those platforms are not good for, for certain things. They're, they're great for some, not for others. This would, I would agree with you that, um, what you do here, what I do on YouTube is, is way, is gonna be way better, but, uh, you have to really just start reverse engineering and it sucks because you have to think of your audience like they're sixth graders or like six-year-olds. Like <laughs> what would like these, what I hope are above average or of average, least average intelligence people want to know, all right, now how would I get their stupid son to get into it? Like, well, you have to really d dumb it down because that's, I mean, people are just doing the escapism thing on you. Do you watch YouTube? Right. Or are you, did you find, have you found yourself becoming a you, like YouTuber, like in watching, like consuming <laughs> YouTube? Um, I, so no. I haven't, um, which is probably why I haven't made a lot of change to the way that we do things over the past few years. I'm not a, a rabid consumer yeah. of of YouTube, um, but that is what I'm changing right now. I mean, for the past few weeks, I've just been watching nothing but YouTube all day, every day, pouring through the metrics, looking at all of the people that are both inside our niche and outside. I heard a, a really, I was actually discussing this earlier today. One of the things about creating videos that we were talking about is um, your goal is to simplify and simplify and simplify the problem that somebody is experiencing that would cause them to search for the thing that you're making a video about and that your taught your title needs to serve the, the simplest problem that they're experiencing at this time that would cause them to come and search for this thing. Because if you can start to broaden the title, as opposed to making it highly specific, and yet you can kind of agitate the problem that's where you start to get into finding hitting browse hitting suggested is because you capture that broader audience without them needing to type it in exactly mm -hmm. it's tough to get eyes when you it requires that somebody types in the exact sentence that you have as a title when your title is that specific do you guys have you how have you thought about your um would you, some people call it a multiplication strategy or your micro content strategy. So like I'll fly, let's say I fly out to go do a three hour podcast with Marcus. That's obviously a three hour podcast, audio and video on YouTube from right. that three hour podcast, 36 pieces of micro content that go YouTube shorts, reels, yeah. Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever yeah. from there. Like, like, how do you, have you guys thought about, okay, what's my biggest bang for my buck? Right? Like everyone's like, cause everyone's like, do you get paid to travel around to the podcast? I'm like, not outside of like sponsor or whatever, but no, like when I go out there to do these three hour podcasts, which Kalipa or Kelly or anyone, I'm like, no, like, why do you do it? I'm like, cause I get to fly somewhere dope, hang out with really cool people. And I'm going to get probably fucking 50 plus pieces of micro, like, you know, daily social right. media consumable content out of that trip. No, we, while I fundamentally know that we should, um, I haven't, that's like the, 
Gary V really popularized that what in like 2018, 2019, sure, that yeah. like turn a singular piece into multi. Yeah. Yes. 54 pieces of content. Uh -huh. Um, I, I want to get there, uh, but frankly, the, in the business, this last year has really been a, a team growth year for me. Yep. With not making videos, I spent a lot of time focusing on who we were hiring, getting rid of people that didn't suit the the business, that didn't serve dark horse, that were just kind of hanging on for dear life. I'm notorious for letting people hang on for too long before letting them go. And, uh, and so now we have a team of eight that I really feel can start to move us in that direction. I need to buff up the media side a little bit more by bringing in probably one other editor whose sole focus is that, is taking our primary pieces of content, distributing them down, grabbing text clips, grabbing audio bites, grabbing short form snippets from those long form content pieces. I can't recommend services like Video Husky enough. Like really? I, so I, uh, I've, I, I hired videographers in 2017 and 2018, flew them around, whatever. And then I looked at the end of the year, like fucking line item. And I'm like, God damn, this is so much money <laughs> on these guys. Like, and you fast forward to today where now everyone is a content creator. Like there's nine year olds who are content creators. Like I hate right. that my videographer friends, I, I hate this for you. You're never going to go out of business because you're always going to be there from a design creativity standpoint, but the art of actually shooting video is so fucking easy right now. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, cameras are so good. If you put it on auto, you're probably okay for the most part. Yep. Um, but then, so I use a uh, video Husky. So I have like two teams in the Philippines and yep. I have one full-time creative director, an actual person here. And so content comes in, she distributes it to the teams. They have certain protocols. They spit it back to us, but we get, I mean, if for the price of what you're paying and over in the Philippines, it's, I mean, it, sure. I'm probably saving over $120,000 a year and, and just, and That's I, significant. And, and the churn, I mean, the, I mean, every day, it's just a, I can't, can't publish it fast enough as it comes in. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like it's what anyone I tell is like growing their content channel it's good to have one human who's the creative eye and then he manages no offense. And I hate feeling bad. I feel cause I'm, I edit a lot of, I used to edit videos too. Like the editors are the fucking lowest low form on the totem pole. It's just <laughs> like, it's, it really is. And all you got to do is like, Oh, I like Alex Ramosi's videos recently. Yeah. Send, point him to Alex Ramosi. Like I want my next. Give me 50. Alex Ramosi style. Give me that. Right. Or the second something else pops, it's like, send it to them and they instantly can do it. Oh, um, that's nice. Good, yeah. Super, super efficient. And for running as lean as possible, which yeah. you and me were talking about, like, you know, even if that brick and mortar thing would have worked out, this online business thing is so fucking as someone who owned oh. brick and mortar and online, I, it, man, it's just the, the lack of stress is so fucking nice. I, I have no desire to go to a brick and mortar. I am, I am, however, at this moment, considering taking on a commercial space just so that I can get out of my house because my garage is dark horse HQ and it's reached a point where I have so much equipment in my garage that I can barely use my garage anymore for an actual gym because I have six different rowing machines I have a seventh rowing machine company that wants to send me what is the Ferrari of rowing machines, but I have to say no, is. because I don't have anywhere to put it. It's a $14,000 rower. And I have to say no, because I have nowhere to put it on the floor of my 500 square foot garage, because it's a laundry room, wood shop, Where are you personal in gym, You're in yeah, Cali, right? San, San Diego. You're in San Diego. It's I'm telling you, because you've got a, a successful, profitable business, go SBA 504, go buy a building. 
Go buy a okay. building. It doesn't matter. That's what I did. So I, I retired in 2021 from gym ownership. I bought my building yeah. in 2016 and, uh, we had a brewery out of San Antonio, Texas, walk in and offer me like pretty much four and a half times my mortgage to uh, to lease it for me for ten years with a ten year renewable. So I, you know, wow. I bowed out of gym ownership. Um, <laughs> but for someone like you, the, the thing I tell the online shops is like, oh man, they're like, yeah, I'd like to get into some real estate that's not residential. That's such a pain in the dick. I'm like, OSB five hundred four because you're so fitness close to related, and that's essentially right. call that it, call that an R and D studio, a fucking content studio. Go buy that warehouse. You'll get an SBO power. You'll have to put 10% down. You'll have a great, you're going to be a tenant inside your building. And later on down the road, when you're like, man, Shane's tired of hitting that red button. I don't want to be the guy in camera anymore. Maybe, you know, or I've now trained a a replacement, someone who's my, like my Robin that now the people want to see. Yeah. You've got a fucking sellable asset to just like as a backup, because that's the problem. And I talked to Marcus Philly about this and I'm going to ask you the same question. Is your role on the org chart, your CEO, but you're also talent. It's yeah. Your face on every video. Yep. That's tough. If I'm gone tomorrow, so is the business. I mean, they could exist for maybe, maybe a year, maybe two. And but- that's that's where you get into. I joke right. I joke tell people I'm like WTF Gym Talk makes a lot of money, but it's a job. Right. It's I I die, the job, the money's gone. And I I personally like that. I let my real estate be a business. My gym was a business, I had staff and all the things. I'm like, I kind of like the the luxury of just having a job. And in one day, if I'm just like, fuck it, I just fold this laptop. I never hit the red button on the <laughs> camera again and I'm done and I'm good. Yeah. I don't owe anybody anything. Yeah. But I think for you, it's just like, man, I that's the nice thing about the the real estate play that it gives you a whole nother. I mean, you could lease it out to someone, just sit and collect mailbox money. You could sell the fucker, you do whatever with it. But how does Shane Farmer get out from behind the la- like in front of the camera? Like, what have you thought about? Like, who is my number two? I've got to bring up to to be the person that they actually want to see on camera a little bit more than me. Yeah, that's that's a it's an ongoing passive question I constantly ask: is how do I supplant myself in the business? That's what at least part of this last year and the hiring spree, hiring and firing spree I've gone on is at least to start removing myself as a bottleneck to business decisions and to progress of the business. And next is where do I find this person that is the good number two to like put on camera. And ideally that person is close, right? Cause I'm going to have to spend a lot of time in person with that person to welcome them into the channel, to introduce them as a personality, to get them teed up so that showing up for them becomes natural for our audience yeah it's a i mean it's a big hairy question um and i this is definitely one of those questions that keeps me up at night uh we like personally my wife and i have gotten into real estate um again i'm from minnesota so we've gotten into the residential side of real estate back home in minnesota because we can support my dad that way um so he's our property manager back home we have three properties there we're working on expanding that, but as far as business, that's something I haven't considered. Uh, and it does, I like the idea of that because I've, I'm outgrowing my house Yeah, <laughs> and I don't want to keep filling my house with and work. No. And it, it, it opens up opportunities. Like I think of Glassman and what happened in Santa Cruz. He, he had a gym there. He, that's where he trained people. And then it became an education center where he held his own seminars and people flew out to them. And then he gave it to, I think Sakamoto and then Sakamoto's got the business. They like, for you, um, and you can respect this, is I've got buddies that are in the, the residential real estate game, and then we get together, and I'm I'm the only one currently in the, the commercial real estate game. And 
you know, you're on one year leases with unfortunately sometimes shithead people and it's constantly taking care of your dad's probably running around fixing bullshit a lot, especially <laughs> in the winters in Minnesota right, and yeah. shoveling sidewalks. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, my tenant just put a $1.5 million into the building and it's their business. So they take, you know, like business owners take really good, they, they need it to look nice all the time. If one thing breaks, yeah. they're either on it, if it's their responsibility, the plumbing, the electricity, because their customers are going to complain. Yeah. And like residential tenants. So, I mean, like, I, it, I definitely think there's pros and cons there. We definitely jam anytime off ban, uh, off the, the pod here on it. But like, yeah, huge, whenever you've got a business making a profit, and you're in that small business range. I don't know how much money you guys make, but if, if you fall under that number, you've got great loan opportunities that, uh, that, you know, you think about the number of people that own commercial real estate in this country. It's very, very, very small, but that's definitely one of the fastest ways to kind of backdoor wealth. And, and you know, you've, you've got a good use for it too. It's not like you're just doing it as a play, right. like, fuck. Yeah. I mean, hell you got all these growers. I mean, um, but anyway, super, that that's interesting. Talk to me about this. So, when I look at a bot model like yours, like, um, do you, you mind sharing any numbers on the business? Do you, is this, I mean, we don't have to, if you want, I'm just curious, like a business like this, what percentage of your revenue is the online education? Is that one? I mean, it's 99%. Um, I would say 70% comes from our programs, all of our, our digital products, the membership, the coaching courses, um, ad revenue from YouTube, things like that. That's probably 70%. The other 30 is made up of like consulting that I do that's within the industry, as well as corporate contracts that we've established. Got it. And your yeah. your main go-to is the crew, 20 bucks a month, right? Yeah. How many subscribers exactly. do you guys have to that? We're, uh, we're around 1,500, I think. Okay. So, yeah. you know, we look at these numbers of, and people, you know, uh, I think COVID really helped people make people understand like, if when your back's up against the wall and you have to do it, I saw a lot of guys who had talked like, I'm going to create an online program one day. And this is in 2016 COVID right. happens backs up against the wall and they actually did it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know some gym owners who closed down their doors because this was their opportunity to get out of their lease, got free, even sure. though it's four years on it. And they're doing an online program to 38 people, but they make $7,000 a month with right. the overhead of under $400 a month. And it, they're like, this is fucking money. Like I can literally program and go right to my kid's soccer game. I don't have yeah. to wait for that 4 PM class. Yeah. Um, there's so much freedom in it. And, uh, you know, minus your state taxes, like, fuck, um, the granite, the weather, I get it, dude. Every time I come out there, I'm like, I'm I don't like, complain. I, no, I'd like, listen, I'd pay for it too. I get it, man. I fucking, I, I I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, which I yeah. like, but I fucking yeah. hate the weather here. It's just, it's, it's just too far ends of the extreme. I just want yeah. what you guys have so bad. Um, 15 so, minutes. I'm at the beach. It's I know, great. It's, yeah. It's just a, it's a, it's a nicely accessible place that uh, granted I'm in La Mesa. So I'm like, it's always 15 degrees hotter where I am than in San Diego proper. But for the most part, I'm okay with that. I have a half an acre here. I got chickens. I have an orchard. Like I grow a ton of my own food. Like I, cool. I love, I love our life here. It's I, people don't understand. Like when California people come and they'll visit and we'll hang out and shoot a podcast or whatever. And they're like, and let's say it's shit. Like today was torrential biblical, the world's ending downpour. <laughs> and they're just like, what if you would have planned something today? I'm like, what, like a wedding or even a workout or an event or whatever. Like, yeah, man, that shit fucking happens. Whereas you yeah. guys, for the most part, it's like, yeah, pretty much we're good. Any day yeah. you want to book your thing, plan for right. it. It's it's crazy. Um, 
do you guys do a lot? Have you ever done a VO2 max test on the rower? No, I haven't. That's a great question. No, I haven't. I just came back. I did my second one. Uh, I'm training for the Chicago marathon. I just came back. I did one on the a treadmill for the first time. I'd done the bike one previously. And yeah. I was just, I was looking at, I was looking over the numbers before I, uh, before we hopped on here. I was like, man, I'm going to ask, I wonder if he, I wonder what the, the VO2 testing protocols would be on a rower and what that data looks like. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've only ever seen video of it and it's, a, I mean, it's a very complicated process. Yes. There's like a person dedicated to just like holding the cables next to the person. Yes. And yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a, it's a, it's a real production to get yeah. done. Uh, no, I've never, I have never done a VO2 max test ever. And that's like, so that's the stuff I think of for your brand. I'm like, yeah. no one is. So what's the thing Shane Farmer needs to do is the shit that no one else is doing. No one else. Right. And because data is so fucking popular now. Garment, right. whoop, whatever you wear, everybody, yeah. and I list what I call them, like the dumbest smart motherfuckers. Like everyone <laughs> is just like my HRV. I'm like, bitch, two fucking years ago, you didn't even know what that was. Like, stop yeah. talking shit. You're not like, I'm in the industry. This is all I've ever done. Exercise science right. is my degree. And I, you know, novicely, I'd still consider myself educated on the biometrics of human performance. Right. But I look at this stuff now, everyone is only going to get more data in it. Like my eight sleep, like every day, my eight yeah. sleep wants to tell me all of these fucking data points. I, and I'm, I'm I had like, a call with eight sleep three hours ago. Did you? Yeah. That's funny. It's a great product. <laughs> Best thing I bought, like, especially if you and your girl sleep differently, like yeah. she's lava. I'm like fucking sub zero. Right. Yeah. So, but like, man, could, is there a market? I think so for, the super, the geeked out, the data elements. Cause people who buy a $700 Garmin or even a whoop and they're really into it. They also kind of want to know that. I mean, and uh, I forget the name of the brand Hinshaw was talk talking about it. It's a, it's just a portable VO2. So it's the mask. It fits over like this and all the tech goes to like a side battery, a side computer module, no cables, awesome. no anything. It's like, fuck. So it's like, is the, are people geeked out and nerdy enough about that to give a fuck? And even if so, it's like, well, we could throw a few videos in the water, see what happens kind of scenario. But it's always like, what's no one else doing? Yeah. Why not? Because it's hard. As soon as There's, I hear because it's hard, I'm like, I'm fucking right. there. Let's go. Who is, uh, I think his name is Nick, Nick Simmons. You know him? YouTuber. No. Uh, he's like a former Olympian. I think it's Nick Simmons. He's a former Olympic uh, US track athlete. And he has a channel now. And he he has this whole funnel of videos that he does where it's like run as fast as me, but he went and bought a $3,000 radar sign that tells you your speed. Yeah, and then yeah. he just like flies places and just like puts it in the middle of the road or the middle of the track and he'll run at it, set a speed and anybody that beats him gets a hundred bucks, right? Yeah. Kills it. I love Kills it. it with these, like his entire channel is just built off of this $3,000 and he always makes sure to say it. I paid three thousand dollars for this speed sign in oh, every single video. I see this video. on a police grade speed <laughs> radar sign. Yes, and found yeah. out just how fast my top speed is. That's but that's see thing, but like that's fucking hilarious, right? And, and he'll just, take it to. He's in Oregon, so he always takes it to like University of Oregon. He'll yeah. put it on a track, and he's running against high schoolers. He'll take it to. A, <laughs> I, I was watching his channel yesterday, researching. Um, but you could just tell like it's interesting enough. Yeah. It's expensive, which makes it hard. He was willing to do it and he gives out cash. I mean, yeah. which is hard. That's not, a, Mr. It's it's not be cheap. Mr. Beast model, right? Like he's totally. got the, yeah, I was looking at the video. Like I'll give you for every pound you can bench press, you get a dollar. Right. But he's like, he's okay. He's the Mr. So, Beast of fitness right yeah, now. I can, I can spend five grand on this video because I know I'm going to go ahead and make X amount back and add revenue. You know, Mr. Yeah. 
And if you listen to those podcasts enough, Mr. Beast, it's not exactly a great business model. And, no. and he'll openly admit it. He's like, well, we're not, no. I'm not here to make money though. Um, yeah. Cause good. Mr. Beastification of everything is what's happening in yeah. video right now. And I think yeah. it's going to be really short lived. Like my prediction on this, you've got everybody trying to chase Mr. Beast. Sure. And I just think it's going to be a big flop because it's a, it's a tiring viewing model. It, it's you can very... only you can only keep like tapping the ceiling of like what's crazy, what's big before it starts to feel cheap and childish. And like you're just putting us through the Jackass. same cycle Tom, over the Tom and over. Tom Green, I mean, how old are you, Shane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Tom Green. Yeah. Okay. How old are you? Though? 37. The same. Okay. So yeah, yeah, the Tom Green show that right. just got to the point where he just like, it was like, how many, you know, cow udders can the dude suck on? Like before it's crazy. <laughs> right. Um, you know, yeah. and even jackass, like how many times can this thing happen? And it's like, okay, I think I agree with you hundred percent, but I always like, that's when I go to the pickaxes and the shovels. When everyone's rushing for gold, they're shooting to go in the Mr. Beast model. What yeah. product SaaS software thing, what can I do to, to help people do the thing they want to? I don't think it's going to work long-term, but there's yeah. something that makes their life a fucking headache. And yeah. I, if I can solve that problem and give them that shovel so they can go we, digging, we go think for the it. same way, man. I yeah. think about that quote all the time. I uh -huh. just look at everything when I watch the way that things move and I look at it and go, I did, that feels so played out to me that I have no desire to start moving because at this point it's too late to move that way. Um, a, which direction do I go? But B, like, what could I do to serve that audience that is going that way? Because there's something there, like yeah. you said. I got uh I can I can I borrow you for five more minutes? I got like one more thing I wanted to hit on with you. Is that cool? Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. So I recently come into I find uh have you are you familiar with High Rocks? Yeah. Okay. I was completely I, I'm not a con like same thing. I'm not a content consumer either. I'm fucking sure. oblivious. I don't watch the news. I have no idea unless it like happens right outside my studio here at my house. <laughs> I don't know it's exists. It's I don't know it came into existence. But I looked at that, I was like, that's so business smart. That's just, it's the endurance athletes CrossFit. Yeah. Right. It's the same event. Every time it's the high rocks. It's like the say the eight kilometer run broken up into eight different fitness stations and yep. runners can go ahead and say, Oh my God, that's like 26.2. Cause it's always 26.2 miles. Every marathon I run, they can yeah. wrap their head around it, train for it. The body types they still kind of look – minus Hunter McIntyre. Like they still kind of look like runners. They're like right. skinny fat. They're not whatever. But that sled push in the pool, there's some impressive shit there. Yep. But I look at that and I go, okay, I believe the two worlds of strength and enduring condition and endurance have been separated for way too long. I think Glassman brought everyone the closest together as possible, but yep. it's still not – like CrossFit's still not endurance. I think the CrossFit right. Games are an endurance event over seven days. But it's yeah. still not an endurance-based thing for the most part. Right. And what's the number one fitness methodology in the world? It's running. 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 So if I can take – more people go and watch the New York City Marathon than do CrossFit worldwide. It's fucking <laughs> – I mean like it's fucking insane. Between TV views and actual feet on the ground at the New York City Marathon, it's, that's to watch people run. What is yeah. – I mean literally you just – they go by. That's all. It's the worst spectator sport in the world. It's but like rowing. Rowing's yes. terrible as a so, spectator sport. And so that's my thing is like, okay, who is really Shane's avatar? It's someone who maybe got into functional fitness, which exposed them to a concept to rower. Yep. But if they're going to have a rower at home, it's, you know, they like that better than a treadmill. But that you still, if you want a treadmill or a stationary bike or a rower, in my head, you still probably have an enduro mentality. Like you like LSD, you like tempo work, right? Sprint, rest, interval work. 
Yeah. I'm just curious. I believe the endurance athlete and this concept of a hybrid, like what Nick Bear's doing the hybrid thing. But I mean, even yeah. Alex Viata, like strength coaches like that, that like strength in this endurance stuff. I think Mark Bell, what he's doing with his running thing right now, that's yeah. really fucking interesting. I think that whole strength thing, it's going to be so cool to be able to be strong and strong is going to get redefined. I can row a marathon. Right. I can I can run a marathon. I can bike fucking a hundred miles. Whatever these fucking feats of endurance are, yeah. How do you have you viewed the evolution and the view of endurance? Because I think traditionally you and me were the same age. Endurance athletes were always looked at as weak and pathetic, and what you did if you weren't athletic <laughs> at all. Yeah. And you come yeah. from actually doing the sport where rowing yeah. obviously at least has some has a lot of power behind it, unlike running. How do you view endurance in its and it's I, I think it's slowly tapping the fucking spine of ta- it's a spinal tap in the pop culture a little bit more. It's getting more popular to be, quote unquote, endurance because it looks cooler than it did previously. Yeah, well, you keep saying uh, you keep dropping Nick Barr. And like, yeah. I think he's kind of that that. That exact profile of the person who comes from strength looks great naked, right? And can also go do an ridiculous. I was just watching his uh, his Leadville 100 yeah. uh, mini documentary that they had on YouTube the other day. Like that's insane, right? But he pulled that off. And uh, so you're right. Endurance is moving into the space of and high rocks. I'll be at a the Chicago High Rocks in like three weeks coaching. Um, oh no, we're putting on a, a micro seminar. Yeah, at the, awesome. the Chicago High Rocks. So it's it's all in this. It's starting to revolve in this space that I believe just as a result of everything that's happened with CrossFit is just in its like timeline, its natural timeline, other players start to enter the, enter the space. And now this space is getting redefined. And that you had said something earlier as we were talking about programming, that person who gets smart enough to be able to start programming for themselves. And so many of us, again, you and I being the same age, having come into CrossFit at almost exactly the same time and having probably gone through very similar journeys, we all reached a point where we went, okay, well, we know that a GPP athlete has a two-year lifespan before they plateau. And as soon as they plateau at that two-year point, you better find something else for them. And we all started to realize that there needed to be, or there was an argument for specializing and that you can take on these specialty tracks and choose these specialty tracks without giving up the entirety of everything that you know and believe in. And you can move between different specialty tracks throughout the year. And when you become a specialist, then you can get really good at that thing. You learn from it, you take away different modalities from it, and then you can roll that into the other bits and pieces of your training. And that's what we're seeing with endurance right now, whether it's biking, skiing, rowing, air bike, tread, outdoor running, whatever. You said mentioned Hunter McIntyre. He's trying to make a bid to go to the Olympics in K1 canoe right now. Yeah. Like, like w- these power athletes are all of a sudden having these huge exposures into endurance sports and realizing, oh, wow, like I could, in my own way, become very functionally fit uh, at endurance sports. And there's something yeah. very fascinating about somebody who can truly embody an endurance sport while being strong, not just being peripherally decent yes, at it. A thousand percent. I think that's what CrossFit bangs up against all the time is this peripheral thing. Um, but I mean, you know, yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. I think, uh, I think this middle thing, and I really, I'm, I'm from a business perspective, I am absolutely blown away. And I just kind of been going down this high rocks rabbit hole and where it started in Germany and thinking about it from a business perspective. I'm just like, 
that's so fucking smart because runners have only had the marathon. Right. They now have this and or all a turkey run, trot. And, and, yeah, and everyone's touched a little bit. Like I high rocks this thing, like just just enough hit, just enough wall ball, right? Just enough burpee yeah. broad jump. It looks like something that I'm like. This could be bigger, I think, in participation than CrossFit. Not an sure. impact. I think CrossFit's still going to have the largest impact on the yeah. fitness industry that we're going to see in our lifetime. Yeah. But from participation, who I my money is on this High Rocks. I don't know about deck. I don't know as much about the DECA thing that Spartan created, but this yeah, High Rocks thing I think has got fucking legs. It's like an indoor Spartan CrossFit combo, yeah. like that's repeatable. And easily it's executable. It's the All same you, fucking event yeah. every time. They just ship it to another large indoor space, and you never have to worry about weather yeah. conditions. Dave you don't Castro have to worry doesn't about... have to do mushrooms and LSD to come up with the workouts. You know, every year. You know, you just like, all right, it's just you know, it's the same thing. Um, dude, this was this has been a great conversation. I really, I truly enjoyed this. I'm super glad Eric made the made the connection. Yeah, if man. anyone's listening to this and they are, um, you know, on the the gym side and yeah. uh maybe they're interested in in an affiliate programming um yep. something you guys are, are slowly working out would you talk about that a little yeah so we're uh in reference to that conversation we just had we're seeing this need right to be able to create a new offering that gym owners can easily roll out and the thing that i've inherently understood having been in the crossfit world is like i don't expect a gym to have x number of rowers i understand most gyms are built off of like acquisitions of members who move away and don't want to take the rower with them. And so they sell their shitty old concept suit at the gym for a hundred bucks and like piece of equipment just get left and aggregated. And so we, we are building this endurance offering. It's called dark horse endurance on pretty much every software platform we could find. So sugar, wad, wadify push press, like trained by push press and uh, beyond the whiteboards coming soon. But we realize like, Hey, there's probably this really easy way for you to build an endurance offering using what you have. And so all of these classes are built so that you could take in one hour, your air bikes, your bikers, your skiers, your rowers, your treads, amalgamate them into just one central point and increase your ability to put more members onto machines. All the programming is already written for each of those machines. It's already been calculated and translated across all the machines. So that's what we're current. That's our big rollout that's happening right now. Very, very cool. Um, Shane, dude, this was a, this was a pleasure, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I wish you nothing but the best. I'll be keeping an eye on your YouTube and, and seeing the evolution of that. And I'm probably going to hit you up after you go to the High Rocks event. I'd love to see what is that weekend of February 17th, 18th, 19th, like that weekend? When uh, I want to say it's like 10th, 11th, 12th, 12th or something okay. like that. Yeah. Right. I'm running the Austin half either that weekend or the following weekend, but I, I'm not late. If I'm not doing it that same weekend, I might fucking just fly up because I just, I haven't seen anything in person. I want to just see this fucking event in person to see if this is actually, I think it's got legs and I just, but I'll be hitting you up regardless to see what your thoughts were on it being there live. Yeah, I have, I haven't done it either. I haven't been to one live. I think I'm going to both do it and be coaching at their, like the day before, I think they basically do a coaching day got where it. athletes can come and learn and stuff. So I think that's what I'm doing day one. And then I believe I'll be doing the event day two. So Come join, man. We'll be doing it together and learning yeah, for the first time. That's incredible, dude. I will uh yeah, I'll hit I will I will hit you up. Even if I don't make it up there, I'm gonna I'm gonna ping you because I want to know what your thoughts are on the on this thing. So All right, everyone, great. Shane Farmer, thank you so much, brother. Thanks for having me.